Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311 cast, episode 54. On the docket this week, we have Cyclone Football, Cyclone Basketball Preview, the NFL, an MLB postseason wrap-up, and of course our signature seven segments, Mike's Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions. So make sure you kick back and join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Wyatt Teeter, and Mike Ludwig, as we bring you all things sports to your beautiful ears. I mean, I know I'm kicked back and relaxed while recording in this this podcast in my nice reclining armchair, just leaning back. So yeah, might as well, might as well kick back and relax while you while you uh, listen. So yeah, I mean, I'm kicked back too. I'm I'm all cozied up under a blanket because yeah. What? Because it's 51 degrees in West Lafayette and you're cold because you're a wimp. No, no, I'm cold because I'm being frugal with my electric bill because mm. I am in grad school. And, and this podcast isn't making us any money. I mean, it's at, supposed to. At sponsors. At yeah. sponsors. Hit us up. 8311cast.fireside.fm slash contact. Also, at Cyclone Football, you could sponsor us too. That would be fun. After you beat Oklahoma, since you play them at 7 o'clock on Saturday, that would be a great celebratory gift. would be like, you know what? This podcast really likes us. We'll sponsor them. When you're feeling serendipitous after you beat Oklahoma. Yes, the Cyclones do play OU on Saturday at 7 p.m. in Norman, Oklahoma. I think we all remember what happened the last time the Cyclones went to Norman, except maybe Wyatt because he didn't watch most of that game. I was but... busy. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. But yes. Yeah, you were supposed can, to watch it with me and you just abandoned me. You, you just abandoned me. I was sitting on the couch. I was like, where's Wyatt? Where's everybody? I just wanted to watch it by myself, and I was super sad. And then we hey, won, so I wasn't that sad anymore. I showed up when, when it got good, so it's fine. I showed up like a halftime. Oh, mm-hmm. so you literally just described yourself as a Fairweather fan. Hashtag <laughs> <laughs> fan. Sorry, I was busy in the morning. That's Wyatt not- Teeter is a fake fan. That is not true. <laughs> this, is, this is your... Uh, Reminder that Lincoln Riley has still yet to beat Matt Campbell in Iowa State in Norman, Oklahoma. I mean, that's true, but they've only played that once. Hey, hey, they only have one more chance at it before he heads off to the Cleveland Browns next year. So who, Matt Campbell? Uh, I was talking about Lincoln Riley, but now that you're speaking about Matt Campbell, do you want to fill us in on what might be another stressful end of the season for Iowa State? Well, besides the fact that the Cyclones still have a shot at the Big 12 championship game, so that's going to make the season stressful, but you have to beat Oklahoma. I'm not going to go into the scenarios yet because the scenarios don't matter if you don't beat Oklahoma. Beat Oklahoma, and then next week you can look forward to some Cyclone college football playoff scenarios. Anywho, yes, the rumors about Matt Campbell are that since Florida State fired Willie Taggart this weekend— um, the rumors are that, well, not the rumors are, according to Las Vegas Sportsbooks, Matt Campbell is the favorite to be the next head football coach at Florida State University. So you can take that or leave it, but, you know, Vegas thinks he's the favorite. Also, his name has been tossed around by random people on Twitter when it comes to the Arkansas and USC jobs as well. So... Um, it's possible, but I think uh, neither, I, he's not going to Arkansas. That's a joke. Anybody who willingly no goes to way Arkansas. He goes to Arkansas. Yeah, anybody who willingly goes to Arkansas is a joke. So, is that your uh, just a reminder to all of our listeners out there about what happened to a 
uh, former Wisconsin bad <laughs> football coach. <laughs> yeah, throwback to when Brett Bielema hated Wisconsin and the athletic director Barry Alvarez, who's an awful human being, by the way, hated him so much that he went and moved, uh, went and became the head football coach at Arkansas, who promptly fired him a couple years later. But, you know, that's how much he hated Barry Alvarez, which is fair. He's awful. Anyway, continue. I hate the Badgers. Yeah. So also this week I have to cheer for Iowa because they're playing Wisconsin and I hate the Badgers more than I hate Iowa. On that bombshell, we can talk about how we can all start cheering for Cyclone basketball this week. I mean, you can start cheering for Cyclone basketball whether or not they're playing. Just just a thought. That, that is true. There is there is a lot to cheer about coming up uh, in Cyclone basketball, not just not just this week, but potentially for the future, as there is a uh, player who will be making a decision that could be a big uh, cornerstone player for the program, uh, making a decision next week, and that is Xavier Foster out of Oskaloosa, Iowa. Represent uh, four star, seven foot center. Uh, so oh, I thought. I thought you were going to say seven foot seven there for a second. And I was like, no. uh, nope. seven foot, seven foot center. Uh, so that could be huge for the Cyclones. But why this, how does someone from that podunk town get to be that tall? Um, a lot of protein. <laughs> why aren't you that tall? Because I didn't eat a lot of protein. I did not drink my Ovaltine when I grew up. Therefore, Body. I am small. Body built by Taco Bell. Body built by Taco Bell. That do is you also have one it. of those. Yeah, we do now. As of like just five five years ago, probably. So he probably started eating Taco Bell when he hit puberty, and now you know got a body built by Taco Bell. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. But talking about this year, since this is our Cyclone basketball preview for the 2019-2020 season, uh, just a just a breakdown of. What you will see on the court, uh, who some of the new faces are, and um, some old faces now. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, so the returning players for the Cyclone basketball squad back uh, from their uh, Big 12 championship uh, or the uh, tournament con- or champ- tournament championship uh, in Kansas City last year. Um, Tyrese Halliburton is going to be the cornerstone player for this team this season. Um, coming off of an appearance with USA Basketball's under-19 team. Uh, Michael Jacobson coming back for his senior year. Solomon Young coming back as a redshirt junior. George Condit in his true sophomore year. Zion Griffin also in his true sophomore year. Terrence Lewis will be a junior, as well as bench players Carter Booth, Eric Steyer, and Nate Schuster. Some of the newcomers who are coming in, to the program this year, uh, Prentice Nixon already was with the program, although he was a sit-one, play-one from Colorado State, uh, looking to see an increased role out of him. This Obviously, an increased role, but playing big minutes for the Cyclones this year. Razier Bolton, also a transfer from Penn State, received immediate eligibility from the NCAA this year, uh, so he will have three Time years out. to play. That process is a joke. Time in. Okay. Mike, we'll, we'll, we could talk about that at a different time. We, Caleb Brill. If, if you go back and find an episode from about this time last year, I'm sure I did a, a who's pissed off about the NCAA eligibility waiver process about uh, last season. So go back and look at that. Time in. All right. 
Then we have Caleb Grill, who is a true freshman out of Wichita, Kansas. Trey Jackson, uh, true freshman point guard out of uh, somewhere in Georgia. I'm blanking on the hometown. Trey Young. Uh, he is not replay- related to Trey Young, but did, yes, did he does high school have basketball a basketball game Trae tomorrow. Young. Did he play basketball with Trey Young? No, he didn't. That was Charlie Kolar. Charlie Kolar did play basketball with Trey Young. Fun fact. We love Charlie Kolar. Yep. Time in. Okay. Uh, and then there's two names on this list who are... Hey, Wyatt, how uh, often do you think I can derail this segment before it's over? I actually was just going to leave my desk to go grab my, my yellow football flag to throw it at you next time you <laughs> did a timeout because you're out of timeouts yeah, yeah. out of three <laughs> there are two, the right two players names on this list who decided to leave the program today we'll talk about that in a little bit uh javon johnson is a sit one play two uh transfer from junior college and then nate jenkins so breaking down the recruiting class uh razier bolton uh, is the first one that we'll break down. Uh, he has three years of eligibility after his transfer from Penn State. Um, in his freshman season, he was able to shoot 36% uh, from beyond or from the three-point arc, um, which is a pretty good clip. The Cyclones are hopeful to get him up around uh, 30, but anywhere between the 37 to 39% uh, mark to help replace um, Marielle Shayok and his contributions to this team uh to last season um so that is him he will see obviously uh big minutes um coming in as a scoring option on the wing um caleb grill was the highest graded recruit uh per 24 7 sports coming in out of wichita kansas uh he gives great point guard depth and is most likely to be the uh, most immediate impact um freshman on this team uh he played four sports in high school uh so he's a very very athletic player able to shoot the ball um and dribble drive uh trey jackson also adds point guard depth to this team he's a do-it-all guard out of high school who was able to defend uh pretty well so if he does indeed see time on the uh court look for him to get into the mix on defense now for the big news that came out of the program today uh, Luke Anderson and Mercedes Leach, who are both three-star recruits coming in uh, to the program, both declared that they were going to be entering the transfer portal. Um, Luke Anderson had a meeting last night with Coach Prome. Mercedes Leach had a meeting this morning and both decided at the same time to leave the program. Mercedes Leach was uh, once one of the highest re- or a top 20 uh, recruited uh, and rated player in the nation, holding offers from Kentucky and Kansas, uh, some of the Blue Bloods, until he had a devastating uh, break. Uh, he broke his leg, um, a devastating injury in his sophomore campaign out all of his junior year, um, and then wasn't quite the same his senior season. Um, but my uh, kind of what I saw out of this is I guess Coach Prome sat down with them they both did not see the court at all in the two um, preseason games against um, Minnesota and Wisconsin. So obviously, Prome sat down with them and told them that they are not going to see a very big role in their freshman year. Obviously, more opportunities in years to come, and they were not willing to sit by and uh, waste uh, like waste a year waiting to play. 
um, and they wanted to play immediately. So these two will not be with the program. Uh, this means that the Cyclones will have four scholarships open for the 2020 recruiting class, um, which they already have two verbal commitments uh, in that class, potentially one coming next week from Xavier Foster, which I had mentioned earlier. Um, Coach Prome did leave the door open to a potential midseason uh, recruit, which can come anytime after, uh, or they can join the program in January if that does indeed happen. Because, you know, that's when the semester ends and the student yep. athletes, yep. I've been told. They, they are quote-unquote student athletes. So, the, as I had written uh, in our outline earlier in the week and what has been confirmed, uh, the anticipated starting five um, and now confirmed starting five is going to be Tyrese Halliburton, Prentice Nixon, uh, Razier Bolton, Michael Jacobson, and Solomon Young. Um, the big bench minutes will most likely come from Condit, Lewis, Griffin, and Grill, um, with Griffin being a stretch four, uh, which he, he coming out of high school, he was the tallest guy on the team, so he played the five, so he is very physical, uh, but he is actually 6'6", and one of the smallest guys on this team, so he will be a stretch four with the ability to shoot from the outside. Um, I see Grill giving... Um, Nixon, obviously, a uh, spell off of the um, bench, as well as Lewis coming in for Bolton. Uh, if Terrence Lewis can actually be consistent this year, that's what we need most out of him, as well as George Condit stepping up and really being a big uh, defensive uh, presence in the middle of the court uh, for the Cyclones. Um, one thing that, the, uh, that a lot of... Um, Interviews have come from the season or come from uh, preseason, including Big 12 Media Day, was how physical this team is going to uh, get. Uh, Prentice Nixon has talked about needing to increase uh, his defensive ability. Um, he was a very good point guard defender at Colorado State, and he's been working to um, get better and better on the defensive end as well. Um, and then Solomon Young, uh, Steve Prohm mentioned that we lost that physicality with Solomon Young being out uh, the entire year last year. So adding him back will be big for the Cyclones. Literally big. The starting lineup is going to be a lot bigger than it yeah. was last year. I mean, think about it. Last year, your center was 6'9", Michael Jacobson. And granted, you know, 6'9", isn't short, but... It's not big for college basketball center. So having, and Michael Jacobson's not necessarily the most physical guy. Right. And I guess, I mean, Solomon Young's only listed at 6'8", so he's probably technically shorter than Jacobson. But he's definitely uh, definitely bigger. So and he's better at defending defending the post position, in my yes. opinion, than Michael Jacobson. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, George Condit is your real height on this team. But he's, again, smaller than both Jacobson and and uh solomon young weight wise so yeah at least according to the official roster which i know you probably can't trust because i don't think that solomon young is only 242 pounds don't think there's any way that that's accurate i think but, he's just slightly bigger than that probably and i think they i think they overlist the weight of tyrese halliburton as well you don't think he's 174 nope. 75 eh, i think that's probably pretty close he's strong enough maybe. right yeah maybe Anyway, 
let's start talking stop talking about men's weights and start talking about anything else what do you what else do you have to talk about with cyclone basketball Kyle um I just need to fill us in on before the season starts first game is coming up on Tuesday against some school I've never heard of because you know I think what it's like Mississippi Valley State yeah Mississippi Valley State but I'm sure that uh Hilton will be rocking because it always is. So, well, and Steve Prome is trying hard to get all the fan, all the students at least, to come out to this game. He is giving away a twenty-five hundred dollar check to one student who is dressed crazy, apparently, and he is also he has also purchased a thousand slices of pizza for Cyclone Alley as well. That's a lot of pizza. That is a lot of pizza. Also, if you haven't if you haven't seen the video of Steve Prome driving students to class, go to Twitter, go to Iowa State uh, men's basketball Twitter account and watch that video. It is it is just a classy video for Coach Prome. Um, just a really cool thing that he did to incorporate with the student body and get people excited for the basketball season. Um, but I'm always excited for basketball. Season. Just looking, looking at head at the schedule, the Cyclones have some tough, some tough games um, uh, in the in the start of the season. Uh, they travel. Their first road test is Oregon State. Don't mm-hmm. know much about them. Don't That's think it's much a of a tough test. They're Oregon but State. Coming back or on November 27th, they get Michigan at home, which will be a big game. Or, uh, you, yeah, it, you want to try it again? They get Michigan in the Bahamas. Oh, yeah. Iowa, Bahamas, not the same place. That is true. Just it is a home game curious. in the Bahamas, but a Michigan team that is, uh, for the past several years, been very, very good and formidable. It's a tough Bahamas uh, battle for Atlantis. Yeah. It is a tough, tough schedule in order to win that. I don't see the Cyclones winning that tournament, but hey, no. they, no they played pretty well in Maui last year. So yeah, we'll but see what happens. I mean, so you've got in that you've got Michigan, Iowa State, North Carolina, Alabama, Gonzaga, Southern Myth, Southern Miss, Seton Hall, and Oregon. There's at least two top twenty-five teams. On that list, if not more, I'm not 100%. Because Seton Hall is number 12. Yeah, and North Carolina is obviously ranked because they're North Carolina. Let's see. So yeah, well, that has that has Gonzaga eight, North Carolina nine, Seton Hall is 12, Oregon is 15. So you've got four top 25 teams. Just we that. have the we have the and we actually probably won't see Seton Hall in that. Uh, in that bracket at all because we do end up playing Seton Hall on December 8th in Hilton Coliseum as well. Well, and we also so. play Southern Miss before that too. Uh, so it is interesting. Anyway, so we could play the same team twice. I, that might be the first time in regular season history that a team would play the same a non-conference team twice in the same year if yeah. we ended up against – Southern Miss or Seton Hall. Anyway, also Michigan and Alabama both received uh, top 25 votes. So Iowa State and Southern Miss are the only teams there that didn't even get top 25 votes. So there's no way Iowa State's going to win that tournament. But we'll talk more about that when it gets closer. That is true. But looking, just looking ahead, beat Iowa at home this year. That Please that's probably Iowa. the biggest thing to come out of the out of the non-conference schedule for the Cyclones. 
So yeah, I mean, I was not supposed to be great this year, so you have a chance to beat them. They yeah. also did get in the top twenty-five votes, so um, not a good chance. What, before we round out our uh, Cyclone basketball preview, uh, an interesting note for um, just this decade as a whole for the Cyclones uh, basketball team um, from the. From the year 2001 to 2011, Iowa State made one NCAA tournament appearance and won only one game uh, and didn't make a Big 12 title game at all. And from 2011 to present, Iowa State has now made seven NCAA tournaments, won seven NCAA games, and won four Big 12 championships in that time frame. So a good decade for the Cyclones. We'll see how they fare uh throughout the season getting into conference play, but we'll see what happens in Kansas City where they seemingly always have a chance to win um, that conference tournament even when they, even when we feel like we don't have a chance like last year going into mm-hmm. it. So. Anyway, I'm looking, looking forward to Cyclone basketball season. College basketball is probably like my third favorite sport. So College, college basketball is my second favorite sport. Love it. Love college basketball. Also, if you are listening to this podcast and you are a huge fan of college basketball in general, be sure to check out the Champions Classic Tuesday night, November or November 5th. So that is tomorrow or today when this episode is published. It it features all four of the top teams in the country. Uh, yeah, it does. Out. So... Big, big, big games. It's 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 like that. Uh, the preseason polls are based largely off previous reputation. So yeah. when they take the four teams with the best basketball reputation and put them in a thing like that, you more often get the four best teams because it's so much based off reputation. Anyway, rant over. It's true, but for the I, I think it's been the past three or four years that all four of those teams have been ranked in the top at least 10 if not 15 in the rankings at the beginning of the beginning of the season so true true cyclone basketball it's gonna happen it'll be fun we'll keep you up to date on what's happening as the season goes on and as our time of this podcast allows but speaking of time we have to keep moving and the next big thing that happened this week was the um nfl and I think of all the games this weekend, the most exciting game, I think, was probably the game that we cared most about here on this podcast, and that is that Vikings-Chiefs game in Kansas City. That was definitely the most exciting game as it was decided on a walk-off field goal. Kyle, you want to give us a little more notes on that game? It was an incredible back-and-forth game between those two teams. I mean, yeah. the Chiefs ended up the Chiefs ended up winning it. But I really enjoyed watching that game. That was a fun football game to watch, which is not something you get for most games in the NFL this year. Most of them are pretty boring. It was it was probably the, the most competitive game of the season. I mean, last week the Packers and the Chiefs game was was a pretty pretty intense game, but it didn't really go down to the wire um, as this Chiefs Vikings game did. Um, there was success on on both sides of the football for both teams. Um, Kirk Cousins looked good at times, and other times he looked um, a little inept, uh, especially when he slid uh, 
about a yard short on a third down, giving the Vikings a fourth down. Um, just bad awareness by Kirk Cousins, but he did have some good passes, uh, led some good drives. Overall, played a pretty pretty clean and uh, efficient game um, compared to what he has been known to do in the past. Um, the Vikings' defense looked good, especially uh, their defensive line got five sacks on Matt Moore. Matt Moore under pressure uh, in this game only had two incompletions and a perfect passer rating. Uh, so he looked surprisingly good for a backup quarterback who was Did teaching. Did fumble twice late in the game, and the Chiefs got lucky that they were covered both of them, though. That is very true. He yeah, sacked both of the last two possessions, but they were covered fumbles both times. And got bailed out by a 54-yard Harrison Butker field goal, which left Vikings fans wondering what it would be like to have a competent field goal kicker. I even texted team. you that as it yeah. happened. I was like, you, wow, yeah. wouldn't it be nice to have a kicker that doesn't miss extra points and makes long field goals? And you just, he walks out there and you feel confident that he's going to make it. Wouldn't that be great anyway? At least the Vikings, at like. least the Vikings didn't lose by one. So, I mean, no, but it significantly changed the way the game played out as far as kicking field goals versus going for it versus yeah. the yada, 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 yada. But... A big key Can't miss to, points. a big key to this to Kansas City's success in winning this game was they did hold Dalvin Cook under 100 yards rushing, uh, 71 to be exact. Um, coming in as a league's leading rusher, that was a big feat for the Chiefs, who had been um, absolutely inept at stopping the run in uh, the first four weeks of the season. Um, they held Diggs to only one reception for four yards. Uh, Adam Thielen got hurt in the game uh, after, yeah, on the first like drive again. Re-injured, uh, re-aggravated his hamstring, um, so the Chiefs didn't have to go against those big threats uh, throughout the game. The Minnesota was only five of thirteen on third down throughout the game, uh, which was big for the Kansas City Chiefs getting off the field, uh, as well as Kansas City only had four penalties for twenty-five yards, which is huge. Uh, their previous two losses at Arrowhead, or their previous. Two out of their previous three losses at Arrowhead, um, they had double-digit penalties for over 100 yards, uh, so cleaning that up a little bit. Um, And the final two drives of the game where the Chiefs have been struggling, they held Minnesota to six plays for minus seven yards. Um, Not great play calling, in my opinion, on the the Vikings for that. Uh, But all in all, as Mike said, an amazing game uh, by both teams. Um, watch. One shot games are like that. Yeah. And the chiefs were able to do this being severely banged up. The Vikings were actually surprisingly healthy coming in with their injury report this week um, with Adam Thielen really being the only uh, injury worth of note. And then him being injured during the game as well. Um, but a shocking stat was for the for, through the first nine games for the Chiefs this season, 13 different starters have missed 137 quarters, which is the equivalent of one and a half entire games of play uh, for those starters. So the Chiefs have definitely had the injury bug, but looking to get healthy next week as they play the Titans and the Vikings play. Who Vikings next? go to Dallas next week to play yeah. the Cowboys. Yeah who nobody knows what to think about the Cowboys because they, you know, they win some games and then they go do things like lose to the Jets, Which who couldn't even beat the Dolphins, the Dolphins this Dolphins. week. 
the Dolphins can't even tank right because they'll just, you know, go ahead and lose to one of the teams competing with them for the number one overall draft pick. It's great. Also, fun fact, the Cowboys have the, let's see, one, two, three, fourth worst strength of victory in the NFC, only behind the Redskins, who are awful, the Giants, who are awful, and the Cardinals, who are eh. Fun fact. And there's only two other teams. There's only two teams in the AFC with the worst strength of victory than them. One of them is the Bengals, whose strength of victory is zero, which, you know, when you're when your winning percentage is zero, your strength of that victory is also typically zero. correlates pretty yeah. well. And the Dolphins. So the Cowboys have the sixth worst strength of victory in all of football. So they're beating bad teams. And pretty much only bad teams. So nice. there you go. Sounds the Cowboys, right. uh, the, the the Patriots are right in front of them. You want to get into the Patriots a little bit too? Oh the yeah, Patriots did. I the know Patriots you were very happy lost, about this. Which means America wins. That's <laughs> that pretty much sums it up. I I loved seeing um, Tom Brady and all Patriots fans out there losing to uh, the Baltimore Ravens. It, at the beginning of this game, it looked like it was going to be an absolute blowout for the Baltimore Ravens. They quickly went up seventeen to nothing. Um, but then they shot themselves in the foot uh, with some fumbles, giving the Patriots some short fieldage or short yard yardage, short fields. Um, and but then uh, the Patriots had a fumble of their own, uh, which was returned by the uh, Ravens for a touch, uh, defensive touchdown, which really kind of changed the course of that game. Um, so the the Ravens look good. I don't know how the Chiefs beat them earlier this season, but they looked good in this game. Um, something that I uh, came across today was uh, the Chiefs' defense is a problem for the Ravens. The Ravens' offense is a bad matchup for the Patriots, and the Patriots' defense is designed to beat the Chiefs. So it's yes, shaping Patriots up to be Patriots' defense is very much designed to beat the Chiefs. It's it's shaping up to be a wild, wild AFC uh, playoffs this year. So that'll be interesting to watch to the NFC where there is only one uh, undefeated team remaining and they coincidentally also have the uh, second to worst strength of schedule in the NFL. Uh, Second to worst strength of schedule. You mean second to last second to last. Yeah, that's what I meant. Second to last strength of schedule in the NFL coinciding with them being undefeated. So they haven't played anybody really worth of note. So we'll see how that goes next week when they have a Monday night showdown against the Seattle Seahawks, who escaped against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who can seemingly only play well against the Rams and the Seahawks. So don't let the Buccaneers play the NFC West, I guess. On to a team who doesn't have any offense, uh, the Chicago Bears. Except they have David Montgomery. He scored two touchdowns. Go, David Montgomery. He, he did, but he also still uh, only had 2.9 yards uh, per carry uh, for average for the day. But um, he scored all of their points. But he did. He was he ended up having a good game, but the Chicago Bears offense is absolutely atrocious. Matt Nagy is... I don't know what he's doing this year compared to last season, but it just isn't working for them. I don't even know how many yards they had again in the first half, but I believe it was under 20 or 10. It was some absurd number. Um, Mitch Trubisky is going to get benched at some point if he keeps playing like this. That's all I'm saying. 
he he has to. I think I think outside of uh, um, Johnny Manziel in recent quarterback history, this might be one of the biggest busts in quarterback. Uh, at least don't in the- about Jamarcus Russell. At least uh, oh, Mitch Trubisky yeah. hasn't ended up on a list of things football players shouldn't do yet. Jamarcus Russell is a bust and ended up on the list of things football players shouldn't do. That is true. That is that is very true. Also, if Antonio Brown is out there listening, I did uh, shoot my shot in your uh, Twitter Twitter comments, so I was hoping to get a response fired back at <laughs> but I didn't. Uh, on to another team that... Uh, a surprise by one, or I guess a surprise for both teams. The Chargers pretty much steamrolled the Green Bay Packers uh, in yeah. LA, which was a home game for Green Bay again. Basically, um, yes. Since LA, because nobody goes to the yeah. LA can't manage to actually get any fans. They haven't had a home game since they left San Diego, um, and Green Bay looked bad. The Chargers' defense was making them look silly with uh, Joey Bosa and Mark Ingram, or not Mark Ingram, Melvin Ingram up front. Um, and Aaron Rodgers did not look good in this game. And I was wondering why the Chiefs couldn't face that Aaron Rodgers in the previous week. Or the Vikings ever face that Aaron Rodgers. The only time the Vikings have luck facing Aaron Rodgers is when they injure him. Yeah. But that I just that was the biggest surprise of the week. I mean, the Chargers are two and zero against the NFC North, so hopefully that doesn't continue when the Vikings play them later this year. But that I I don't know how Green Bay can look so good beating the Chiefs one week and then just absolutely get steamrolled by a below average. I'm gonna call them bad, a below average um, Chargers team the week after that. I just don't get how it happens. They're definitely not exceeding expectations that were set out to them this season as being the front runners to win the AFC West this year and the, being the Chargers no Anders, so no I think Father Time might have finally caught up with Father Philip Rivers since he has that <laughs> Father he is with his 19 kids it seems like but anyway love Philip Rivers one of the greatest guys in football 10 out of 10 love of Philip Rivers anyway so he has he probably has the most passion for the game in, in all of it, the NFL right now. Also, the Timberwolves and Bucks are now in a 24-minute delay because the basket is not level. <laughs> did, I don't know what the, the, the basket did is Jack not level. It? I don't know, but the, I, I'm looking at it right now. It says Bucks timberwolves games delayed on level basket. It's supposed to start at 7. Anyway. Interesting. Interesting. Level your basket. It's not that hard. We, it's not like we had an earthquake here today or anything. There are no earthquakes in Minnesota. Fun fact. Another great reason to live in Minnesota. Well, now that you said it, there will be an earthquake in Minnesota. That's it's how that works. Almost. That's basically all of California would have to break in half for Minnesota to feel an earthquake. Let's hope but that doesn't a, happen. There's a fault line that I guess you probably wouldn't feel. It doesn't really matter. Speaking of unlikely events, I heard that there was a huge, not huge, the world record set during the World Series. I mean, I don't know if you'd call it a world record. I, I think it's a world record. I mean, it's, it's, it's a record. First, it's never happened it's before. definitely an unlikely event. Exactly. First, That's what I was trying to get at. First time ever, the road team won every game in the World Series. All seven games were won by the road team. The home team never won a game. 
Yes, that means the Washington Nationals won the World Series in seven games with a win over the Houston Astros in Houston to take that World Series. That was a classic game, too. A really great, a really great game seven. Uh, final score of that game was six to two Washington, but that doesn't uh, reflect how great that game was. It was two nothing Houston going to the top, going to the seventh inning, and then the Nationals hit two home runs, including one off the fair pole in the seventh inning, and then just tacked on a few more runs um, after that in the eighth and ninth inning. But that was just a classic game. By and, the way, have you have you licked that foul pole yet? I have never been to Houston's ballpark, so I have not licked With disgusting habit of licking foul poles? You haven't been to a ballpark until you've licked the foul pole. That's gross. Excuse me. I find that to be quite gross. Yeah, so. So I'm pretty sure that wraps up our our MLB postseason, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. I mean, there there isn't much else to talk about. The Nats won. Watch the video. Pro team won every single game. Watch the video of Brian Dozier um, yes. at the Nationals World Series parade. I laughed so hard I was crying. Yes. At Brian Dozier during the World Series parade. Brian Dozier Please go watch that video. Because he didn't play in the World Series at all, did he? Uh, he had one at bat, I think. Oh. He had one pinch hitting appearance. He walked. Hey. hey, but he still gets a ring. He gets a ring. Ring is a ring. Mm-hmm. And he gets to celebrate, which he very much likes. Anyway. Um, Yes, that is the end of the MLB postseason, though we will touch on that in our next segment, Wyatt. What is our next segment? I think it's your favorite segment, and Kyle and I's. I wouldn't really say, well, I'd probably say our least favorite segment, but I don't hate it as much as I used to, I guess. I believe it's Mike's Stupid Rules. Yes, it is. And you get bonus two Stupid Rules this week. Double whammy. First uh, one what, is probably, what a bonus for me. First one is probably um, from your last baseball Stupid Rule of the year, as I'll be focusing more on football, basketball, and hockey as the uh, season goes on. Yes, hockey season has started. We don't talk about it much because we just don't have time to talk about everything. But hockey season has started. Check it out. More on that during our Write That Down predictions. But your first stupid rule comes from baseball, and this is from a controversy that happened during last Tuesday's uh, Game 6 win for the Washington Nationals. So with the runner on first, um, what happened is, uh, was it, it was Trey Turner, right? Hit a number towards the mound? Yes. And he was running towards first base, and the throw from the pitcher brought the first baseman back towards Trey Turner, and uh, made and the throw made contact with Trey Turner, and then bounced off into the corner, and the runner on first made it to third, and Trey Turner got second. But the ruling on the the, the field was that Trey Turner was called out by the home plate umpire for uh, runner batter interference for running on the inside of the on the in the fair ball side of the first baseline. So the rule states that if you are more than 60 feet, so two thirds of the way to first base, that at that point you must end up on the foul ball side of um, 
of the line there, right? So the rule clearly states that after, so you have 60 feet to get over there, but once you start to approach first base, you have to end up on the foul ball side of the first baseline. Otherwise, you can be called for interference should the ball make contact with you. That is the rule. There was a lot of upset fans, players, celebrities saying you can't make that call in the World Series. That's an awful call. It is the rule, okay? That's what I'm gonna. That's that's what I'm gonna say about that. Based on the letter of the rules, that was the correct call. Now we can have the debate on whether or not that should be the rule because that ball was gonna get thrown away regardless of if it made contact with the runner and things like that. But according to the rule, the throw made contact with the runner. The runner was inside. It was in fair territory, running towards first base. By rule, he is out. That was the correct interpretation of the rule. It may be a bad rule, but for anybody who's saying that it was the rule was incorrectly called, I believe you are incorrect. It was correctly called on the field. And I know you two uh, had discussions with me about this on Wednesday after it happened, and you two both agree with me that that was the correct interpretation of that rule, right? I believe it was, yeah, the correct interpretation. I think it was also the right call. I don't think you can say that in the World Series, you can't just not apply certain rules when, I, no, they're, I, when they're that concrete. You know? I hate when people say, well, like it happens in basketball. Like, yep. really, was that a foul? Can you really make that foul call with 10 seconds left? Yes, if it was a yes, foul call at the first minute, it's a foul yeah. at the end. I don't care. A foul and, is a foul, and a rule is a rule. You and, have to enforce all the rules all the time, no matter what. And we as fans, we as fans always get upset when, especially when referees, officials, umpires don't call things fair the entire game. What, albeit like strike zones, whether like difference between balls and strikes, uh, pass interference rule in the NFL now, which is complete BS in my opinion. Uh, the those reviews during the Vikings Chiefs games were awful. Oh, oh yeah, they were. Bad. I felt bad for Vikings fans as well, as well as Chiefs fans for that. It was garbage. And in basketball, when there's what we think are blatant foul calls or calls that should have been called that aren't, it, the consistency is key in this. And if it adheres to the rules, it was the right call, right decision. You can't change anything just because it's a World Series Game 7. And this call specifically well, is, is really six, hard. Yeah, yeah it was, it was, six. Sorry. I mean, it was still. It it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what game it was. But this rule specifically is. I mean, like you said, two thirds the way down. After you're two thirds away between home home plate and first base, you have to be in foul territory. And there is there is a chalk line outside in foul territory that designates where the runner can run in between the baseline and this this other secondary line. Yep, that's correct. Like all the all the base runners know. Know this, so there's no excuse for them to be running on the inside of the baseline. It's not a hard rule to follow. It's literally painted on the field for you. So I, I, I just don't get it. But I do think it was the right call. The only thing that had me confused was the seven-minute delay afterwards on yeah. a non-reviewable play. The, 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 the play was non-reviewable. I have no idea. So they went to, they called New York to review a play that was non-reviewable, and then apparently nobody in New York picked up. Like, so there's an umpire there whose job it is to be there and answer. Was he out getting tacos or what? I did a little bit of little boop de boop research, and I kind of I, I didn't watch the game live, so I went back and watched a bunch of replays. And it looks like that they tried to protest the game. They weren't calling for a review because it that's it, not a re- reviewable play. Uh-huh. They wanted to protest the game, but it's not protestable. Knowing, yeah, it's it's not protestable. They can still 
request, I guess, for, for a protest. They can say, hey, I want to protest this game. And I don't know. Apparently, the umpire can't just say no. They can't say no, all right, they have to contact New York, I guess. That's the only thing that I can think of. Huh. Because then, like you said, they try to get a hold of New York. And apparently the dugouts also could not get a hold of New York, so there's a communication issue uh, between the play and okay. the, the the office. But it doesn't look like they were trying to review the play. It looks like they were trying to get the uh, the, the proper, I don't know, the proper route to tell them, no, you cannot protest this game. But what was really, really strange about that is that after the headsets came off, the umpires still signaled the out signal, like right. like like they reviewed it, but they didn't review it because they can't. Mm-hmm. Right. Because so I don't know. Out. It is strange. Right. But you know, if you would have listened to a previous episode of Mike's Stupid Rules, you would know that you can't protest judgment calls. You can only protest actual misinterpretations of the rules, not misjudgments. Which you could argue that it was a misjudgment, but you absolutely cannot argue that it was a misinterpretation of the rule. Yeah. Anyway, you ready for Mike's Stupid Rule 2? Um, uh, as yeah, ready yeah. as I can be, I guess. So this one is actually late, really interesting. I just learned about this rule um, just uh, on Saturday, actually. It came up as I was watching the Florida-Georgia football game. Since both Minnesota and Iowa State were on by, I didn't have much else to do this weekend. So I was watching Florida, Georgia on Saturday afternoon. So, you know, in college foot, right in the NFL for a catch, you need two feet inbounds. And in college, you only need one foot inbounds, right? So this actually, it actually matters whether you're going for in college, at least whether you're going forwards or backwards, what part of the foot you have to have inbounds. So if you're going forwards mm-hmm. or sideways when you catch the ball, right, then just your toe, you know, dragging your toe, anything like that is enough for it to count as a foot inbounds. If you are going backwards when you catch the ball, however, your entire foot, toe and heel, right, since those are really the two parts of your foot that hit the ground, have to hit the ground inbounds for it to count inbounds. A toe drag going backwards is not good enough. Toe and heel both have to hit the ground um, in order to for it to be a catch when you are going backwards when you catch the ball. So is that based on momentum or like your chest because like couldn't you catch the ball backwards but then rotate your lower body in such a way that you're technically moving forward it's it defined in the rule when i was uh listening to whoever the rules analyst was when you come down your back has to be the part that's leading you out of bounds if you then turn yourself around like if you rotate as you come down just your toe being in bounds is okay. Interesting. So so basically the part of your foot that is leading you out of bounds has to be in bounds is yes. has to come down in bounds is the interpretation of the rule. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Okay. So hence <laughs> going backwards heel because you know the back of your foot your heel is leading you out of bounds so that part has to come down in bounds whereas yep. if you're coming forwards or sideways I guess unless you're coming sideways backwards, then your toe would probably or your heel would probably have to lead you out of bounds. Mm-hmm. But I've never seen somebody do that. I guess. Yeah, I haven't seen somebody do that. Generally, if you're twisting, if you're twisting from catching the ball like with your chest towards towards like the 50 yard line or towards the middle of the field, when if you catch it and you're rotating down the front of your foot, you, like your toes are gonna hit, not like the side or your heel. Yeah. At that point. That's, mm-hmm. Generally, how the body works. What uh, kind of unrelated? What network broadcasted that game? Who was the, was the rules CBS. analyst? 
Oh, okay, so, so it's probably Gene Steratore. Yeah, it was Gene Steratore. All right, I, I trust Gene. I think I also uh, saw it on a uh, Fox broadcast, too. I think it also came up with Where? Mike Pieria. Oh, I don't trust him as much as I trust Gene Steratore. I agree. Did you know he got a lot of hate for the note card thing? I also agree, but then Mike confirmed it when G- I had already heard it from Gene. So I was okay. like, that's, that's this fair. has to be definitely well, something that's it. You probably listened to Gene say it, and I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, probably. That's, that, that's it. He probably heard Gene say it, and he was like, oh, I got to keep up my ratings, so now <laughs> I'm going to say it. Anyway, we got to keep moving. We're running real late. Mike, can you uh, hold us accountable, please? I can always hold you accountable. Please have- do. Three predictions come off the board during our accountability session this week. One each for Kyle, Josh, and I. First, from Kyle, he predicted that Zach Grinke will have the most wins and lowest DRA of the Astros starting pitchers during the playoffs. That, no. He was he was definitely their third best starting pitcher, if that. So for that, Although he did have a really good Game 7. He did pitch well in Game 7 until he gave up two home runs in the 7th. But he did pitch really well in Game 7. He he was the better pitcher compared to Max Scherzer in Game 7. Yeah. But anyway, he was not did not have the most wins in lowest DRA for the Astros this year. So for that, Kyle gets a nah. nah. Um, Josh predicted that Aaron Rodgers would throw for an average of 380 yards against the Chiefs and Chargers. His awful game against the Chargers. Uh, and he guaranteed. didn't even have 380 against the Chiefs. Yeah, and so. he played absolutely Awful against the Chargers. So for that, Josh gets a nah. Yeah, he only threw 461 yards against the Chargers. Um, third one coming off the board was the one for me. And if you remember, I predicted that the Washington Nationals would win the World Series, which they did. So for that, I get a ding, 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 ding. And I suppose we'll like. Yeah, we're not quite halfway through the write that down season. At the halfway point, I'm going to give y'all an update. Um, well, mine, mine's are. bad. So. so we're pretty. Actually, you know what? Since our season what started in June, so that puts us. It started. Yeah, I guess we're not quite halfway. We'll say, we'll give you right about the start of December. We'll give you an update. So look forward to that in about four episodes. But uh, Kyle, would you like to lead us off with what your prediction is for this week? And actually, we have a. So give us this prediction, and then we have a second one we need to talk about. So lead us off with this prediction. Oh, yeah, we do have a second one to talk about. So my first prediction of the night is the Chiefs will uh, continue playing well after this Vikings win and get a first-round bye in the playoffs. Hmm. Okay, I'm thinking double or triple on that. So according to 538 uh, NFL predictor, they have a 27% chance. At a first round by third best in the AFC. So fourth I, best in the AFC. Yeah. Double. Double. Well, if they're. 27%. Yeah. Double? Uh, yeah. I'm comfortable with double. Double okay. for that. Thank Double for that one. All right. All right. I'm <laughs> going to. Go into. No, we got to talk about my other one. Oh yeah, we got to talk about. So when Kyle and I were talking on Thursday, we were watching the Cardinals 49ers game, and we were talking about how well Kenyon Drake was playing since he got traded from Miami to Arizona, and Kyle predicted that David Johnson, the former great running back for the Arizona, well, he's still a running back for the Arizona Cardinals, just not as great as he used to be, predicted he will get traded before the start of next season. Right? That was how you worded it. 
Yes. Yes. In the traded in the off season, which I mean the trade deadline is passed, so he won't get traded this season. But traded in the off season, what are your thoughts on that one, Wyatt? Double, um, triple. I'm thinking double or triple. Yeah, I'm thinking double or triple. I don't know really how to quantify it. Um, I would say let's give him a triple because he wanted a triple on the last one. Yeah. Okay. We that, give a triple. That's fine with me. Triple for that one. Thanks, guys. Yeah. My prediction, as I alluded to before, I was going to go back to the NFL or the NHL, sorry, the NHL for my prediction. And I'm predicting that the Minnesota Wild will finish last in the Central Division. That is worst. Worst place. Oh, that's sad. Uh, Uh, For reference, because you guys don't follow hockey, they are currently in last place in the Central Division. With nine points, then Chicago has eleven points, and Dallas has fifteen points. So it's kind of, kind of a crappy division. It sounds like. Is St. Louis still is St. Louis leading it? St. Louis is leading it with twenty-one points. Um, Double. I don't. I don't know. Sure. I guess. That's sure. Fine. I guess what? Oh, double. Double. Yeah. Okay. I'll take a double for that. The Blackhawks could also finish. Worst yeah. in that division. That's and I wouldn't I'm... be that ups- I wouldn't be upset to lose this prediction if it meant the Blackhawks finished last in the division. I hate the Blackhawks. Fifth most. Thinking, thinking fifth, about a certain video that fifth, we fifth had... most hated team in sports by Mike. Number five. Thinking about a certain video that I have of you dating back three years now. Blackhawks suck. <laughs> there you are, folks. There you have it. The, Fifth most hated team in sports. Just behind the Yankees, the Badgers, the Hawkeyes, and the Packers. Not in necessarily that order. Anyway, yeah. Wyatt, your um, prediction time. Yeah, I'm going to kind of modify Josh's fail prediction a little bit and say that Brock Purdy is going to throw for 280 yards. No, nah, yeah. Throw for 280 yards against uh, the Sooners this weekend. Exactly 280 no, yards. No, 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 no. 280 <laughs> or more. <laughs> exactly 280 yards. No. For exactly 280 yards home run. Yeah, yes. Yeah, that's an obvious home run. Um, I'm going to try to fight for a triple here. I mean, look at Brock Purdy the past couple games. He's been kind of struggling in the past game. The team itself has been running the ball, which I think we should be doing more often anyway. Plus, he's only 276 versus AP top 25 uh, opponents. Passing yeah, yards, bad Oklahoma's defenses. Yeah, but have you have you seen our offense? Oklahoma is averaging. Okay, maybe they're not as bad as I thought. They're only averaging two hundred yard pass yards a game. Given they're up. not horrible, and they're in the top ten. I mean, they're, they're ranked number but nine. Their run right defense is absolutely terrible. The run defense does give up one hundred thirty four yards per game. That's not good. So we're probably going to run the ball a lot. I'm willing to give you only a double on that. I'm not giving you a triple for that. <laughs> I'm torn between double and triple. This is going to be a high output game. If the Cyclones are going to win, yes, it's going to be a high output game, just like it was last time. But I'm not sure this game is competitive whatsoever. Double. All right, Kyle sounded definitive enough. <laughs> Do you have anything from Josh this week? I do have a uh, prediction from Josh. Josh is apparently all the way off of the Packers bandwagon after that uh, loss to the Chargers. He predicts that the Packers will lose 
three of their four next game, three of their next four games. For reference, that is uh, versus Carolina at home. Then it is Carolina at the 49ers, at the Giants, and at home versus the Redskins. So we have like a maybe lose, maybe lose. Yeah, that's... I think that's a home run because you should beat both the Giants yeah, and Redskins exactly. and have a toss-up against the yeah, Panthers. Yeah, a 50-50 chance versus the Panthers and the 49ers. Yeah, that's I a mean, home run, I think. Yeah, that's a home run. And plus they get Carolina in Lambeau. Right, so. and you know, you got to beat the Redskins, so... I don't think he looked at their schedule when making that prediction. <laughs> maybe he wanted to go for a home run. Or maybe he did. I've done that before. Do I do I still have my one point safety prediction on the board? I hope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're not taking that off until football is done. (laughs) You better not. Yeah, that's the plan. You better not. Um, There are a couple. Can you even have? I was going to ask. We were like keeping track of all of the football everywhere, but can you even have a one point safety in like JUCO? Yeah, I wonder. I bet same rules. It's football. Are they though? You could have a you could have a one point safety, I'm sure, in high school football. You couldn't have a one point safety in the NFL until like 2015, when they changed the rules. Interesting. Because uh, if you if you recovered the ball um, after it was blocked, if, if the the blocking team, I guess, recovered the ball, it was immediately dead on the spot. Interesting. Though so you you couldn't have one in the NFL. I don't know what the JUCO rules are because I don't know those. NCAA, it's possible. High school is possible. NFL is possible. Anyway, it doesn't really matter because we have all four predictions down, which means we are at the end of the Write That Down prediction segment, which also means that we are at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end of this episode, episode 84 of the 8th Grade Loving Cast. We really appreciate you swinging by. Make sure you check us out next week again for episode 55. Like I've said in every single episode that I've said it in, we do these sequentially, so that means 55 will be the next episode after that. So, awesome. Check us out on our Instagram at 8311cast. Drop us a line at 8311cast.fireside.fm slash contact. Signing off for the 8311cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter. Really they appreciate still can't you. Put this basket up straight. Seriously, can't be that high. <laughs> we'll have to tune into that game, too. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.